0: You're listening to Plenary Session. In this bonus episode of Plenary Session, I'm going to be playing you the audio recording of a class I taught on a recent JAMA Pediatrics paper entitled The Association Between Screen Time and Children's Performance on a Developmental Screening Test. It was published January 28, 2019 in JAMA Pediatrics and now has an altmetric score of over 1,000. If you want to listen to this lecture, you really need to read the paper beforehand. You need to give it a good read and see what you think about it, and then take a listen to my thoughts on this topic. The audio recording will mean little to you if you have not previously read this paper. So I encourage you to take a read of the paper, formulate your own thoughts, and then compare them against how I read it. Um, And, you know, I think there's a lot of room for further discussion on this topic. So see what you think. But first, a plug. If you like this episode and you like this podcast, go to the iTunes store and give us five stars. It really means a lot. Write a review if you have the time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at plenary underscore session. And if you really want to support this podcast, now there's a new option. You can go to patreon.com and you can back us, patreon.com forward slash plenary session. You can back us at any level that uh, you choose, and supporters will get access to links and articles that we discuss on this podcast, as well as slides for presentations. So go to Patreon. We could use your support. Okay, so would you say it's fair to say that the central thesis of this paper is, do kids that develop poorly get more screen time, or do kids that get more screen time develop poorly. Right, they conclude that the latter is the case. Okay, kids that get more screen time develop poorly. What do you think? Let's say you've never read any papers about screen time and you see a child holding a screen. Are you suspicious that they're developing poorly? What I'm trying to articulate is that I bet there's a pervasive attitude that the screen is bad. I think that that's probably our intuitive feeling because when you see anybody get so captivated by something, you're like, oh, my God, their brain must be rotting. Um, although I wonder in prior eras of time if that's how people felt about the, the radio, when the radio came on and everyone was suddenly glued to it, or, or how people felt about television, or even how people felt about the printed word, you know, maybe once upon a time when they had the, uh, the, the illuminated <laughs> manuscripts or, or really nice, the first nice children's books. And they give it to a child, and like, this kid used to be out there playing and jumping over trees and branches, and and now the kid is here holding this book. Anyway, I'm I'm just curious about that intuitive thing, okay? And uh, in this paper, they look at screen time. How do they measure screen time? Parent reported. Okay, so, you know, what do you think about that? Very subjective. Um, if, If somebody, if, you know, if you're a parent and you give your child a lot of um, screens. Um, what do you, when the doctor says how much screen time do you give the kid, what are you gonna say? You're gonna half it, right? <laughs> it's just like drinking. You just cut that right in half. And that's why when you take an alcohol history, you gotta double it. You're right. I mean, you might do that because you're embarrassed a little bit. You're embarrassed. Um, okay. Now, um, the pediatricians, they care about screen time. So can we agree on this? The uh, American Academy put out guidance that says kids should be limited to what 1 hour and of what high quality high quality is fred rogers it's sesame street it's not this drivel you're putting in front of your you're putting your kids in front of that's not high quality it's the good stuff some people may not know but why is sesame street considered high quality is a little historical footnote here there's an old study that was done by some economists and they took advantage of a natural experiment which is that Sesame Street is on PBS. And PBS didn't start airing that around the country right away. They aired it in different markets before other markets. So they had a time lag series. Some markets had access to Sesame Street or before other markets. And then they found in that paper that places where Sesame Street was made available earlier had better, you know, sort of cognitive outcomes in places where it was later. So they made the argument that, you know, that the Sesame Street is a good programming. It's sort of like saying that, like, um, Chipotle's and Trader Joe's, is associated with better outcomes. But you don't get a Trader Joe's in you know where I'm from. You only get a Trader Joe's in good places, where I moved to. And I live within a mile of a Trader Joe's because I've made it. I've made it in life, huh? Um, so that's the screens. Now, um, the study was conducted between what years? I think you're right, 8 and 10. It's like the end of the last decade. Uh, why does that matter? When they talk about screens, do they mean what we're talking about screens? No you know, uh, we didn't have this computer here that I could actually carry around. I remember I did my residency interview here at OHSU and I landed on the plane, rented a car, and had the printout of how to get to OHSU. And I had to look at that printout and then find the place. So, you know, things were different back then. So when they mean screen time, they're probably meaning mostly television is my guess. All right. Um, oh, that's right, okay, they enroll in pregnant women. So the years they're watching the TV are 11 to 16, okay. So they're probably not playing as much uh, iPad games. They're probably watching mostly TV. And the parents are reporting. Okay, what about, what's the end point of the study? What What are they measuring? ASQ3. What is ASQ3? Yes. Without giving help or pointing or repeating, does your child follow three directions unrelated to one another? Like clap your hands, walk to the door, and sit down. Give me the pen, open the book, and stand up. And this person says, not yet. Okay, does your child catch a large ball with both hands? Stand five feet away. Okay, and um, I I would just point out that this depends on which parent you ask. Because if you ask ask the good parent, you get the truth. And if you ask the bad parent, they say, I don't know the answer to half these questions. Okay, so that's also factored in. Without holding on to anything, does your child stand on one foot for at least five seconds without losing her balance and putting her foot down? Does your child put together a five to seven piece interlocking puzzle? If one is not available, take a full page picture from a magazine and cut it into six pieces. Okay, so this is ages and stages. Okay, you get a sense of it. Okay, so um, my question for you all. The questionnaire is validated. They told you that. What is it validated for? Okay, so it has a, um, a, a reliability coefficient, uh, uh, an inter-rater, reliability, kappa, we agree coefficient. So that means that if you fill it out and I fill it out and you look at mother's kid and I know this kid, we're going to get some concordance, maybe 0.88, 0.9. Okay, so that's, what, um, that's how it's been um, sort of, I guess, validated for reliability, that we'll fill it out similarly. But what is it validated for, what external construct? Yes. What about developmental delay? Okay, so it has been, in one study, it was validated against another validated test. But what is the thing, like, let's say we talk about the S3 sound on a cardiac exam. There's an S3 sound. Okay, gallop. Bump, ba bump, ba-dump, bump, ba-dump, right? You've heard S3 sometimes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, I, my only physical exam these days is a PET CT, so I haven't heard it in a long time. But, but I heard once upon a time it was a bump, bum, 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 Okay, the S3 is validated, and there's a, there's a, you know, you and him will agree 60% of the time, let's say kappa coefficient 0. 0.4, that there's an S3 present, right? But what is it validated for? What's the external thing? When you hear an S3, what does that mean about the person? They have. Heart failure, they have a poor ejection fraction and that blood is whacking into the blood that's sitting there in the left ventricle. Okay, that's the S3 that's validated. What is this validated for externally? Okay, you're getting warmer. Let me give you another example. Um, This is one that's gonna hit real close to home. Step one. Step one is is the greatest test you've ever taken. It probably, probably just thinking about it right now, your blood pressure is falling and you're, you're feeling good. Okay, step one. What's the, what's the pass score in step one? It's in the 190s. Yeah. You know why? Because when I took it, it was in the 180s. Yeah. So that's why they call me doctor. Okay, <laughs> It was a lower back then. Okay, So the, the step one has this cutoff score. But let's be honest, the step one's not validated for any, anything. But let's say the cutoff score is 190 something. I imagine that by this point, you have all passed, at least at some point in time. Okay. The step one is a pass-fail test. It's meant to look at whether or not somebody has some basic understanding of this concept. Okay, that's what it's validated for, right? If you're beneath that, you're not going to be a doctor unless you're at some point higher than that. Okay, what is this validated for? It is validated for severe developmental delay and the, and the likelihood that somebody will be in a long-term disability facility. That's the external construct to which it's validated. So similarly, you won't be a doctor if you're only scoring 170 on step one. But if this guy scores 140 and he scores 142, who's smarter? You don't know. Is that test meant to say, well, he may be smarter, but uh, no, that's no, good. <laughs> No, um, but is the test, is a step one score, you all ha- have a step one score. Does that, is that a measure of your worth? No, No. or your, or your, or your intelligence. Skill. It's a skill to take it, okay. And it's one point in time. And what about these small differences? <clears throat> one, for, what, 240, 241. Are you gonna hire him over him? You know, 242, you know, uh, 244. Are you gonna hire her over, hi- you know what I mean? The step one is a useless test at this level of resolution. It tells you nothing okay now what about the asq3 51.7 52.7 your three-year-old scores what does that mean for the kid this is the correlation between iq and sat scores okay this is the iq what's the average iq in the population 100 because we keep normalizing it to 100 and what is um, and and um, this is back when, first of all, when I took the SAT, it was a 1,600-point test. What about when you all took the SAT? 1,600. 1600. It's back to 16. That's right. Keep it. We're making it great again. Right. Back to 16. <laughs> <laughs> we're making it great again. Okay. So it's back at 16. Okay. So um, we talked about correlation coefficients. Let's say I run a best fit line through that. Uh, you know, ballpark it for me. What do you think the R squared is on this? I don't know. I, I, my guess is 0.4, 0.4, uh, R squared, 40% of the variability in the Y is explained by the X. And if you really wanted to fit this, then you looked at it really carefully. I think you'd actually spline it. You know what spline means? You run two best fit lines and then you make a point where you divide the data set. And what I think you'd spline it is say that from people who with IQ 70 and scoring 400 on the SAT to people with IQ about uh, 120 scoring maybe 1,000 on the SAT, there's some linear relationship with maybe an R squared of like 50% explanation. But then from people scoring 120 to people scoring 130 um, you know, or, or people scoring beyond that an IQ test, there's you know, a different slope of the line and, and, and maybe there's actually a little bit more noise or something like that. It's called a thin tail phenomenon or something like that. And actually what I think is strange about this is I'm surprised that there's no people with IQs higher than 130 because there are. Um, this is like ASQ3. What is the external construct it's validating for here, IQ? Nothing, it's validating against a different test. That's a predictive test of performance. Um, is the IQ a useful or good test? What about really smart people? Albert Einstein, what was his IQ? What about um, Stephen Hawking? What about um, Julius Caesar? What about the people who have shaped history, human history, Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, people who have changed the world, you know? What was their IQ? You think their IQ had anything to do with what they did in their life? Nothing, okay? Who is Nassim Nicholas Taleb? You know this guy, Lebanese stock trader? wrote the book Black Swan, Fooled by Randomness, Antifragile. Okay, he's this guy who does a little bit of math, and he went in the stock market, and he thought a lot, and he, and he did not get destroyed by the, um, the financial crisis in 2008. And then he started publishing these books. And he is just somebody who is an armchair. Um, he calls himself a philosopher of probability, but he thinks about the world probabilistically. And he is perhaps one of the greatest thinkers out there. This is a guy who, not at university, you know and and he's he's an extremely good thinker and there are lots of people out there who through, by the end of their life you know what they've accomplished and whether or not they're a good thinker and uh he has demolished this in this iq thing here okay so let me show you how he demolishes it and then we'll see how it's relevant to what we're talking about this is the graph of iq and your income iq and the income what does it show yeah, so we can agree uh, on a couple of things one income is not a measure of someone's worth either just as your step one is not a measure of your worth just like your iq is not a measure of worth but there's one thing different between the iq and sat and the iq and income what's the difference between these two plots okay they have a different correlation but what about the constructs i'm looking at it's a test of something different it's a test of something different it's not the same construct this is how well you score on tests and if I put the USMLE step one, and if I put the USMLE step two, and if I put the NBME board examination, they're all gonna have some correlation. But all I'm proving is people who test well on the types of tests that we test people keep testing well on the types of tests we test people. And I haven't asked any question about, do they do better in life? Are they interesting? Are they fun to talk to? Do they come to a dinner party and say something interesting? Do I never wanna have them over my house again? Do they, are, you know, do I, do I like them? Do they do good work? Like this guy goes to work and this guy does very good work because I worked with them for a while, you know? His IQ could be here or here, but I have no idea, is he gonna actually do the project that I give him a project to do? You know? Are they gonna say something that inspires me? Are they gonna teach me something I didn't know? You know these ex- it's at least something different. Income is not the measure of how, you know, who you are, and Taleb you know, acknowledges this, but at least it's something different than the same thing how you score on a test. And so when you start putting IQ against at least something different than how you score on a test, it looks like this, really, really noisy really noisy very weak linear regression and also it gets once you get past a certain point it gets really noisy people who are struggling between 60 and 70 are people who are the difference between being institutionalized and you know maybe being a janitor under controlled work circumstances okay that's that's what the test is validated for that low end of it to see if this person can actually survive in an apartment or do I have to bring them into an institution and provide 24-hour care. The test is not designed to tell me who is going to actually come on the wards and on my service and do a really stellar job and who's gonna come on the wards and do a lousy job and I don't trust this person to be a doctor. You know, it's not designed for that. Who's gonna come on the wards and do a competent job and who's going to astound me because they are thinking about medicine in like a very, very clever, novel way. You see, we put so much stock in IQ. Oh, Einstein's 180. You know, he never took the test probably. And, you know, they don't take the test. And they're not smart because whatever their IQ is, it would just be a coincidence if that's the case. Because you'll see here, income is not a measure of someone's worth, but at least it's something people chase. And I think this graph shows you that at a range of IQs, people can either make a lot of money, but there are few of them. And this is older data, so we should adjust this for inflation. But most people, you know, it has very little to do with how much money they make. Here's another graph. This is the profession of people. And this is a graph that shows IQ and a quartile plot, what quarter of people are at a certain level. So this is the correlation between IQ, measured on one different scale, different IQ test, and the job you're doing. At the bottom is college professor. MD or equivalent, there we are, feeling good about ourselves. Okay, but what um, what does the graphic tell you? What's the interesting thing here? There's so much overlap. The top 50% of janitors are better than the bottom 50% of college professors. What does this tell you? In terms of what the person is doing with their life, what they have chosen to pursue in their intellectual fulfillment, I think one interpretation is it tells you um, that um, there are a lot of smart or, you know, not smart college professors and a lot of very smart janitors, but I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think the thing is we, you have to take out of your mind the idea that IQ is a measure of intelligence. I'm not sure it is a measure of anything other than at very, very low numbers you can tell somebody has severe developmental disability and needs to be institutionalized. I don't think it's a measure of intelligence. And Taleb is showing you That we treating this thing, we're getting into all these like vicious debates about whether or not certain races or genders or, you know, uh, ethnicities have higher or lower IQ. He says no one's even thought about the fact that this is not a construct meant to be used in that purpose, period. It's not a measure of your intelligence or your self-worth or how much you earn or anything external. It's a measure of how well you score on a battery of tests that are quite comparable to each other. So developmental score, ASQ3. I spent a lot of time trying to trace the history of this ASQ3, and what I discovered was it was validated against an external construct, which is at negative 1.5 or negative 2, which is the preferred cut point of standard deviations below the mean, that is a marker at which somebody should be referred to a neurology workup. For metabolic error, for severe vitamin deficiency, for perhaps horrific abuse. At negative two standard deviations below the mean, that's when they should be referred. Let's start with table one. What are the things they know about these population of people? They're Canadian. They're from what city in Canada? Alberta. Alberta's the province. <laughs> I.Q. 72. No. <laughs> no. Mostly white. They're from Calgary. Let's talk about household income. They adjust for household income by every extra $10,000 you have in your house up to what point? 100. Once you make more than 100K a year, there's no more adjustment. Why do they do that? How would you adjust for income? Income is a continuous number. I would just adjust for it as a continuous variable. And that presumably, There are differences between people whose family earns $100,000 a year and people whose family earns $700,000 a year. And if you don't think there's that difference, then wait till you negotiate your contract as a doctor. You're gonna suddenly, it'll be a very important difference to you because you'll wanna be making like more than just the the minimum six-figure number. Mm, Okay. What's the average amount of screen time that uh, two-year-olds watch? Um, one to two hours a day, and the standard deviation on screen time is 12 hours. And then it goes up, but then by 60 months it goes down. Why is that? Yeah, they're busy. they got their friends. they got uh, after-school activities. And the ASQ3 score starts at 51. with What's the standard deviation on that? 6.5. So, what is the score where you're going to refer this kid to the neurologist? The validated cutoff. The US step one pass score. Yeah, 38. Yeah, 38, 39. That's what I calculated. Okay. Before we talk about the model, this is their main model. Let's talk about this. What does this mean? What does this mean? This is their table two. They're giving you a lot of information. What does it mean? What's a beta coefficient? Right, it's the slope of the regression. Okay, so they're saying um, as the kid gets older, and the other thing is they don't give you the units of the measurement, so I'm going to assume what the units are. Every month the kid gets older, how many ASQ points do they earn, adjusting for all these other variables? 0. 0.4. They earn 0. 0.4, but it's not quite statistically significant. And older kids, this is negative because this is the association between the age of the child in months and how much screen time they get and this is on the decline, probably driven by that 60-month measurement because everybody's go- losing screen time over time. They go up and then they go down, but probably the net trend is go down. So they're saying as kids get older, they improve outcomes, but not so, you know, the A means that actually the confidence interval doesn't cross one, but they're doing so many comparisons here, I wouldn't put too much stock in that. Just look at the raw direction. Kid gets older, outcomes get better, screen time goes down on average, averaging everything. The mother's age goes up the outcomes are no different, no matter if it's a 20-year-old mother or a 35-year-old mother, and screen time tends to go up as the mother gets older, but the confidence interval spans one. So the older mother is, you know, you know, maybe less likely to maybe has a job outside of work or something. I don't know, whatever, but something it goes up. Female child, daughters are progressing better than boys, which no surprise there. Uh, And screen time uh, is less for daughters uh, than for boys. Income. Remember how they binned the income in every 10,000 intervals. And what is this telling you? Income is actually a big driver. Look at that coefficient, 0.11, of developmental outcomes and of less screen time. You see this? It's linked to both. And they've truncated the income at 100K. So 100K, and 500K, those families are treated equivalently. But there might be continued trend of this. They're not adjusting for this little residual artifact, which is that people who are making real money, I'm talking about real money, no, I'm not talking about like the million dollars a year. You know, they're not getting any additional adjustment, and that may be a potential, un, you know, thing they're not treating well. This confounding of high incomes. Um, educational level was a wash, although. The more education you got, their outcomes didn't appear to be any different, but they definitely got less screen time, a lot less screen time. Because, you know, the, pa- the children of, like, uh, doctors are like, you know, like, no, smash that screen. Um, okay. The other one that jumped out at me is sleep, hours per night. Look at this. You're like, why should I work so hard when I can just put you to bed early? Um, and you get way less screen time because you get dream time. And dream time is terrible. No, it's good. It's good. Dream time is the best. Okay. And then they give you the R squared for the whole model, which tells you all of this stuff explains what percent of the variability in outcomes. And all of this stuff explains what percent of the variability in how much screen time the kids are getting. Very little. 15%, 12%. Yeah. Practically none. Very little of the variability in the developmental outcomes they can explain in their model very little of the variability in the screen time they can explain in their model. So there's factors besides these factors that affect how much we report that we have given our children screens, which is different than how much we actually gave it to them. And these factors tell you very little about how much the kid is developing, okay, based on this questionnaire, looking at numbers that are like the difference between a 230 board score and a 242 board score. Um, Okay, now this is their key model. What is this? This is like the lag, time interrupted, blah, 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 blah. We have collected data at all of these nodes, and we are forcing the data into this model where there's some stability, and there's some—these these ones are artificially held by us, as, as we're going to force that as a, as a strong correlation, um, and then we're going to look for these beta coefficients. So here's what I think it's saying. Um, <clears throat> depending on what your ASQ3 was at 12 months when you first came in, and asking the mother and this, what they're saying you hear is actually the, the mother telling you how much screen time the kid is getting actually has very little predictive value of what the ASQ3 is, right? The ASQ3 at three months, p- kids who score lower, there's really no relationship to how much screen time they're using. So this hypothesis that we're just giving the screens to these kids that aren't doing the things they're supposed to be doing, they're, they're saying that these coefficients this one and this one which link the prior asq to the future screen time those are all null coefficients wide confidence intervals across one so every hypothesis saying that this the, the fact they score low they won't um follow those three instructions they won't catch the ball with the two hands that's not doesn't lead us to give them more or less screen time more or less it's really null it has no effect on their future screen time meanwhile the people who have more screen time, they have a consistent negative relationship with subsequent ASQs. Negative 0.08 and negative 0.06, okay? This is the magnitude of the, of the difference they find. And then the other thing is that, um, of course, that screen time begets screen time and ASQ scores beget ASQ scores. This is by like per month. So you multiply this by the number of months and then you subtract the amount of hours of screen time by this coefficient, and then I think you get exactly what they got in this table, which is 51 goes to 52.6. Because you multiply 0.47 by 12, which gives you like three or four, and then you subtract 0.08 by how many extra hours they've watched, which is seven. Okay, right? And so then that'll give you that net result of like a difference of like 1.5 and change. These numbers should all somehow compute together. But you need to know the whole model, they don't always tell you that. But that's the very principle of what they're getting at. Yes, all screens across all times. Although I'm not 100% sure what else they put as covariates in the model, like whether or not they put all that other stuff. But yeah, that's what it's looking at there, saying that there is this negative relationship on the whole in aggregate. But look how it's on the cusp of significance. So here's what I would say. If you analyze this data and you didn't think about doing this fancy pants thing, and you're just like, I'm just going to look at the association between ASQ and screen time at every time interval separately. right? There, are, How many ways could you analyze this data? No one says you had to do a time lag series. You could have just done this, and this, and this. And I think if you did that, you would get the whole association is on the cusp of significance, because it's almost crossing one. And in some time spans, actually in all of them, they're not significant. It's only the pooled data that's getting you almost significance. So in other words, if the authors I, one of the questions I asked them was, did you pre-register your protocol? Okay. Why does that matter? If you're a psychologist and you think screens are very bad and you have this data set, this is the paper you publish. Is this the first way they looked at this data? We can, we, we acting as if that's the first way they looked at the data, but that might not be the first way they looked at the data. The first way they looked at the data might've been the simple association, screen time and ASQ at every time point is that linked to each other. And you know what? This is the ASQ three, but they have these kids from birth. Um, this is just one question. They have other data. They don't. They're not giving you in this paper. What about before they were two years old? You know. In other words, they're picking what data they get to show you. These years, uh, they may have initially run the raw correlations here, 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 and got like a very unimpressive finding. You know, on the cusp of significance. Um, and then they may have said oh boy let's look at a time lag right and then one of their suggestions was future researchers should should lag it even more why not connect this dot to this dot and this dot to a future dot you know that's their suggestion so the reason registering your protocol is important is the same reason why that idea of um we're all looking at um blueberries and outcomes and we all can adjust for different things they have tremendous analytical flexibility and the people doing this i googled them briefly and I can tell they don't like screens, you know, all their, you know, their feeds are nothing but uh, how they hate screens and all this stuff. So, I mean, you take somebody who hates screens and give them a data set like this big data set, they're going to prove to you screens are bad and they have done so and they got 762 altmetric which is real good, which is a measure of how many people are talking about their article, got massive news coverage. This is a graph that I made. Okay. This is taking, the coefficients that they're reporting as beta coefficients, I give them the favorable one. I'm not even giving them that 0.06. I'm giving them 0.08, negative 0.08. And I'm saying this is, and I've put the intercept here. I have forced this dot. This is the dot of the two-year-old, the average amount of screen time they're watching, um, and uh, what their developmental score is on this thing, right? And this is the number of hours per week they watch TV. What does this tell you? Yeah, that's my interpretation of it which is that like, boy, you can get away with giving this kid a lot of TV before they even bump one point. And I'm not calling that neurologist until he bumps how many points, he or she? 13 points. This was the 38 line that you said was the worry zone. Where does this intercept that 13, that line? I calculated it out. It's when you keep the kid awake all of the time and 168 hours a week. You give him the sweet, sweet screens. Then you got to call the doctor, and hopefully that's all you have to do. Okay. The other thing is that, like, the more I was thinking about it, like, as I was fell asleep and then was thinking about this, I actually think like the right way to have done this is to be like, um, you should do it by like their 24 months. It should be like the ages of development, and then the average ASQ goes like this. It goes up, right? This is like the ASQ of the average kid. And then they should plot like separate lines of if your kid watches two more hours a week, four more hours a week, six more hours a week, blah, blah, blah. Yes, exactly, right. And they'll all be like, um, like it'll be like that. Everyone is probably going up because the age coefficients are so much stronger like that the kids are gonna develop just because they're getting older and you're putting food in their belly and stuff like that. But the slope will just be kind of like you know, trickling down. And then if you saw a visual like this, you know, if the, news cover- the news coverage is what? Um, new report out in JAMA Pediatrics shows for the first time that, um, you know, that screen time is associated with later developmental issues. And then they, say, then they say this, previous reports were unable to separate whether or not it was developmentally delayed children who received the screens because parents were so fed up they couldn't tolerate the kids and they had to give them something. New report, this report was the first of its kind to analyze whether the screen time came before or after. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? This thing shows that the egg came first. Okay, so this paper shows it isn't the kids that are misbehaving, that are getting the screens. It's the kids who get the screens that have developmental problems. You know, okay, it sounds very ominous. If you're a parent reading that and you didn't, you know, read this and look through all the beta coefficients, you'd be panicked, you know? Um, uh, You'd be like, I think, legitimately worried. And you may even like, you know, I don't know, change your behavior. But if you saw this graph that shows the little slope, I think anybody can understand that that is not much of a difference. I think as a society, we crave ranking. We crave ranking like nothing else. When you guys look for what med school you want to go to, or what college you want to send your kid to, or what you know, high school you want to go to, you got all those rankings. And there are people, many, many people, who will be like, number two is Johns Hopkins, number three is Washu St. Louis. And I've gotten into both, number two and number three, and I'm gonna go to number two because two is better than three, okay? Um, you know, for the US News ranking. We all know people like that. And uh, the same for like movies in the box office and Rotten Tomatoes and Yelp. It has 4.4 stars with 472 reviews and this other one has 4.1 stars and it's only 300 reviews. We're gonna go to the 4.2 restaurant, right? We crave ranking at this level of precision. Um, and, and we really, we're obsessed as a culture with what does it take to be successful, especially in America. You go abroad, you go to Europe, and I often lecture in Europe. I go to Europe and they don't, they that's not even on their radar. They're all about like, Six-hour dinners with lots of wine and many choruses and laughter and like it's all relaxed and, and all about what's good for all of us and how we're, you know, they hear what we do in America in hospitals and they're like heads explode. They're like, you would spend that much money on this bird Oh my God, it makes no sense. It's not good for society. What about the children? And then, um, okay, anyway, so we like crave rankings. And I guess I would say that almost every single one of these rankings is just, it just is not able to do what people want it to do. And I guess one hypothesis is you're asking is like, why don't we develop the things that do do what people want them to do because it's clear they want them. Uh, My thinking on the topic is that it is not possible to do that because it is not, because um, our life courses cannot be predicted with that level of precision. In other words, um, I think that, especially as you get older, we all will, will, what you believe is the life you want for yourself will change a lot. What you believe success is will change a lot in your mind, what you hope to accomplish and, you, and that, okay. But even with your new understanding of what you want that to mean, I think what you find is that it's so hard to predict and there's so many intangibles to it. And, and what does it mean to be the best doctor? Like it's more than just knowing everything. Um, I, I think about this a lot, but it's like, like you, you see somebody who has a complaint Okay. And then like the first step of being a good doctor is you think about like, what are all the things it could be? What's your double DX? Okay. And then when you're a better doctor, you can like assign a mental probability to everything on the list. Cause you know that like some things are, you know, heart failure is more common than blah, blah, blah. This is more common than this. Okay. So now you're assigning all that mental probability to the list. You're getting this new hierarchy in your mind. And then you know all the tests that you could order to kind of work your way through this list. What are the diagnoses you can't, you know, what are the ones you can't miss? What are the ones you can't, and all the tests you can order and the sensitivity, specificity, and all that kind of stuff, you start thinking about that, okay? And then when you're like a really good doctor, you think about the third step, which is like, what is the incremental benefit of treatment, right? So some of these conditions, yeah, I can make this diagnosis, maybe I'll make it sooner than another doc, but the treatments are all lousy and it's not gonna change this guy's life course, but the the diagnoses I should pursue with more vigor are the ones in which I can really kind of leverage improved health outcomes. And so now you're talking about like economist territory like net expected gain kind of theories of like diagnosis okay um so this is like really good okay now you're like really good but then i'm thinking like how do you become the excellent doctor and then the excellent doctor is when you no longer take any of these for granted and now you like in your mind you know the probabilities but then you question was that probability accurately ascertained are the test characteristics accurate What's not truthful about this? What, have I, what do I believe that I was merely taught and, I, and not, I've never actually verified? And, and how ought this looked at? And then you start thinking like that. And so, I don't know, the more I think about it, I think this, like, this characteristic that's very hard to quantify among like, really exceptional performers is this, the trait of defiance that part of what makes them really good is they're not the brightest and they can't take some stupid test and stack some you know, IQ test, you have to stack like colored blocks and recreate things. You look at a thing and you have to rebuild the blocks in like 10 seconds. Okay, they're not always the people who do that, but they have this idea that like they're not taking things for granted, they're questioning their premises, they have this defiance trait. Why is Nassim Nicholas Taleb writing four books that not everyone has read his books, but people who read his books are like devout fans. The man has a devout fan base. And when you read his books and you read his article on IQ, you will see that he is thinking about this in a way that no one is thinking about. And he just on Twitter, he is also a very brash person. He obliterates these psychologists who think it's valuable. And he points out all these things that they're not thinking about. And what, was, what makes his thinking so much better? He doesn't, he's not the expert on it, but he has this like, little defiance to it. Okay, but that's just my like, opinion on it. But then I think that do like, you really want to know, like. I don't know. Would would we re- would it really be a great world if we could like predict like you know in thirty years what exactly will he do? You know, I like to live in a world where we don't know exactly. You know, I like that kind of uncertainty, and and it's like such an American idea that like we have to like you know, you know sort people in this way, and like in Europe they just like just don't have that kind of cultural thing. But I think it's like an interesting. I mean, it's a very interesting question. Okay, so back to this idea. I guess I would say. Um, uh, uh, what, what of my overall thinking on this topic is um, I believe that, uh, I mean, I guess I, I do, uh, my, my gut also tells me there is a limit to how much screen the child should watch. Okay, that's my gut feeling. It's got to rot their brain. I mean, that's just my gut feeling. But there is no external evidence that I have yet reviewed that makes me feel more comfortable in that gut feeling. Similarly, my gut feeling is that eating cheeseburgers all day is really bad, you know. Uh, but even before you read any paper, you know that like you shouldn't eat Twinkies all day or something like that. Like we have gut feelings about things. Um, this paper doesn't really persuade me too much. And if anything, actually the effect sizes are much smaller than what I would have expected when adjusting for these other things, even imperfectly. And the, those kind of graphs that I showed you, um, this graph, uh, if anything, I think the takeaway is the opposite. It's reassuring. It's reassuring that says like, look, The average kid is getting an hour and a half of TV a day or, you know, per the report of the mother who may be downplaying it, honestly. Right. And, you know, if you're having a rough day and you need to put the kid in front of TV for another hour or two hours because you have to cook dinner or the phone is ringing, you know, um, they're probably going to be okay. You know, especially because their parents make six figures and have doctorate level degrees and they're sleeping, you know, a lot through the night because you're not in you know, we didn't talk about the sleep, but the kids who are not sleeping through the night, often, you know, they're in places where there's a reason they're not sleeping through the night. Like there's disruption and chaos in the home and that kind of stuff. Like you feel bad for those kids. Um, I think it's reassuring that like, look, this, this doesn't matter that sh- in terms of their development, uh, especially according to a scale that's not meant to be used at this resolution. You know, just like the step one is not meant to be used to parse people out of that resolution. And this kid over here is just as likely to be the next Einstein as this kid over here. I mean we haven't even talked about the external construct. This kid over here is just as likely to be a college professor and this kid's over here just as likely to be a plumber. Or, you know, and to be honest, who's to even say that a plumber is better than a college professor? Because there are plenty very happy plumbers out there. Okay, so I think that's what it tells you. The second thing it, that they're missing is that, like, the screen time, one of the things you worry about is a kid's developmental outcome. But there are lots of other things that the screen time, is, you know, is meant for. Um, but But I think that we trivialize that, like, um, yeah, you, f- you start making recommendations to push people from here to here in an effort to gain this. What is the externality that you've imposed in the system? One, pediatricians have many, many important things. And we live at a time where there's one very important thing that we are in like abject crisis over, which is the use of childhood immunizations. And we're not drawing nuance to the fact that like MMR is a vital vaccine. We, you know, we need to prioritize. That's like a, the public health crisis right now. And the pediatrician is in an important role to say, I'm not gonna waste your time with lots of stuff, but I'm gonna focus on this thing and you gotta get this kid to get this shot because this really matters, right? Um, But you're also taking the pediatrician's time and you're saying, oh, now talk about whether or not you have guns in the home and do you lock them in a box and do they wear seat belts and does a car seat, is a car seat tilted at a 17 degree angle or 15 degree angle? And then how much screen time do they have? And tell them to use less screen time. So you're going in and imposing on this pediatrician in a very narrow visit, all these checklists of things the pediatrician has to do. And you're not thinking that one of the things that does in the mind of the person on the other end is the same way we all are when we get lots of warnings, which is, if you get lots of warnings on your computer, you disregard all of the warnings. Um, that's, That's just a classic psychological thing, and that's why, like, you haven't ordered a lot of chemotherapy or drugs on the computer, but you will, it'll give you so many warnings to the point where you say, ignore every single thing, and I don't care what happens, he's gonna get this drug, because I can't look at all this crap. Okay, so they're, they're imposing upon the thing and they're telling people to push them in this direction. And they're doing that because of data like this. That means you're gonna get this kind of benefit. And they're not thinking about the stress level of the parents. If they by making the recommendation, even if the relationship is true, the intervention may not do what you think. Cause then you intervene on the parents and the parents that push their kids towards lower screen time, they're not the calm, cool, collected parents who could handle the kid with less screen time. They're people who are kind of at their wits end. They're working two jobs. They're at the breaking point and they're coming home. They got to make dinner and now the doctor's telling them not to give the kids screen time while they're making dinner. So one can imagine that, you know, there are other kinds of things that happen as a result of the recommendation that they're not taking into account. I guess what I say, my overall thinking is it's very easy. To do kind of studies like this and then to go and impose upon others. But we should be very, very careful about when we choose to do that and save that for the vital and most important things, which to me at least would be MMR. You know, I don't know about everything, but come on. <laughs> this is something that has, you know, a coefficient of spread of like, you know, it spreads like wildfire in a population as it's decimating up there, you know, and has all this devastating consequence. So I guess I would say that. You know, I'm sympathetic because I do have the gut feeling that it's kind of bad to like, let them veg out all day. The data, if anything, reassured me that it wasn't as bad as I thought. And I think they, they are, this is a misplaced effort. Uh, they are really doing a disservice to society. And if they really wanted to study it robustly, you could do a cluster randomized trial where you randomize pediatricians. And in one group of pediatricians, you say, do your thing do your thing and the other group of pediatricians you say you take two minutes in every visit and you talk about screen time and you know you you, you know you tell them that this data says that these kids are not going to score 242 on step one <laughs> they're not going to score that loud. they're gonna get 240 You don't want a 240 when you get 242, and you tell the kids all this stuff, and you tell the parents that, you know, uh, it's okay if they scream uh, while you're cooking the meal, and you can use your foot to push them away from the stove, Um, but, you know, you do cut that screen, okay, and then you follow, like, the satisfaction of parents, um, uh, and then you follow, like, the kids' outcomes, and you see what happens. All right, have a good weekend. You've been listening to Plenary Session. Plenary Session is a podcast at the intersection of medicine, oncology, and health policy. I've been your host, Vinay Prasad. If you like this podcast and you like this episode, go to the iTunes store and give us five stars. It really means a lot. If you have the time, write a comment. If you want to give us feedback, you can follow us on Twitter at plenary underscore session, or you can send an email to plenary session podcast at gmail.com. We like to know what you're thinking. What could be better? What topics could we cover? Um, How can we improve? Finally, Plenary Session owes a debt of gratitude to Kiana Klossner, Audrey Tran, and Ian Straley.